Welcome to the Variety Hour, where local leaders talk Memphis. Listen to you, move your mouth. I bet you come from way down south. Now don't tell me, let me guess. You're from the town that I love best. Talk Memphis, I wish you would. Talk Memphis, you sound so good. Talk Memphis, high on the bluff. I swear I can't get enough. Listening to you talk that stuff. Talk Memphis, oh Welcome to Talk Money. And now here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome to Talk Money. For today's program, here's a question for you. Why can't Tennessee students read? Literacy rates are high in Tennessee, and especially in Memphis and the Mid-South. And reading, it's something that many of us take for granted, but thousands of adults in Memphis and throughout Tennessee struggle to understand the words around them. They can't read a newspaper headline, fill out a job application, read the labels on their medication. In fact, 21% of the adult population in Tennessee is at a level one literacy rate. And according to the National Institute of Literacy, adults who read at level one cannot pick out an intersection on a map, locate two pieces of information in an article, or fill out that so important job application. About 130,000 people are not functionally literate in our community. Here's some facts, actually, from the National Institute of Literacy. It says children from low-income homes knew here as many as 30 million fewer words than their more affluent peers. By age five, a typical middle-class child recognizes 22 letters of the alphabet compared to just nine for a child from a low-income family. 61% of children from low-income backgrounds have no children's book books at home. Well, do you remember the movie Apollo 13 and the line that said, Houston, we have a problem? Eh, it's really Memphis, we have a problem. We can't, why can't students in Tennessee read? I have two ladies here that have a plan. And coming up, Donna Gaines, founder, and Karen Vogelsang, executive director of Rise to Read, along with a very special guest, a fifth grader. You'll meet her in a few minutes. Her name's Kiana. She's special to us. So if you have questions for Talk Money, send them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. To find today's program on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial. I'm Jim Shoemaker, and you're listening, of course, to The Voice, KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Neither Security and Financial Services, Inc. nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Donna Gaines, Karen Vogelsang, or Rise to Read. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, exactly. Then the question is, why do adults and children need to learn to read? Well, I got a couple of thoughts for you. Number one, to raise children who have strong literacy, literacy, literacy. Well, I can't even say the word literacy skills. The reality is, I mean, it's just one teaches another. It passes down to be a good employee is another reason to keep themselves and their families healthy. Think about it. If you can't read a medication label. If you can't know what your children's vaccines, uh, you know, how to manage that, just the basic fundamental skills that we think about, you know, to be active in their communities, it's better if you know how to read, to, uh, to be an advocate for yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's number one, knowing what you're looking at, to fill out that job application. And I guess one of the most important, to avoid crime. 
that's reality. Well, my guests have been here before, and they are special to the city because of their impact and what they're doing. Donna Gaines and Karen Bogelsang, welcome to the program, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, you know, I want to start. Arise to Read. I mean, I <laughs> looked it up. You know, you can go on the website. There's tons of information. But, Donna, I know this was a heartfelt desire of yours. You're an educator. And uh, you just felt that need that we need to have an impact in our city. Give me the genesis of Arise to Read. Thank you, Jim. I've been going into the city and tutoring at Binghamton Christian Academy. And as I got involved in the inner city and realized the great need, I started praying over our city. And it was actually in the summer that the city and county schools were merging and all the hysteria over what will that mean, what's going to happen to the system. Um, I was praying for the city, and it was one of those moments where I just sensed the presence of the Lord in a tangible way. And the words impressed on my heart were, this is your city. These are your children. Mm. <laughs> and I realized I am my brother's keeper. Mm. And as That's a believer, good. I need to be responsible for the children in my city. And as I began to dig, I realized that 44.7% of our children live in poverty. And those children are on average three grade levels behind in reading by the fourth grade, behind their more affluent peers. We have to do something about that. And when we talk about this this child, this child becomes an adult. That's right. And then things that I'm talking about, raising your children to have strong literacy skills, that child, it just passes on. It well, just goes from Well, staying off welfare, not being in prison. These right. Are, it, illiteracy leads to all these things. And we take it for granted. I mean... You know, I can remember my mom helping me learn to read and being a slow reader. And today it's so vital to what I do. Right. And if, if I didn't have that, and if you didn't have a mom that could read, exactly. that's the problem from that standpoint. Now, Karen Vogelsang, Executive Director of Rise to Read and a former educator also, yes, very sir. much involved in the <laughs> reading side of the school system. Tell me what you see when you think about the role that literacy plays in graduation. Oh, my gosh. It's critical because those uh, K-2 years are those years where children are learning to read. And as they transition from third into fourth grade, they're going from learning to read to reading to learn. So if those skills, those foundational skills are not really solid by the time they leave third grade, what we're going to see happen, are children going to get frustrated in fourth and fifth grade? That's going to move on into middle school. And, you know, we have educators now that are sharing stories of having ninth grade that are reading on a third grade level, which means the children aren't going to graduate. And if they're not going to be able to graduate, the opportunities for them to have meaningful employment, to be able to take care of it just themselves, is, is not going to happen. Can I, let me ask this question. It's hard for me to imagine a ninth grader or a, a person that gets to some form out that far right. and not having the capacity to read. Right. And that's got to be to that child because they're still a child. That's a ninth grader. That's still a child. Right. The frustration they yes. have. I yeah. mean, it's got to be not only is life as a ninth grader frustrating and all the peer pressures exactly. and the hormones Absolutely. and all that stuff that goes on, but not being able to read, sitting in a classroom knowing they can't get what they're trying to can't as i was reading in the monologue the whole idea of reading a paragraph and putting two thoughts together that's right. in that paragraph that's that's disturbing to me how do you deal with that i mean when you look at that and you say what are we doing what what's your heart say about that well what my heart says about that is that we have to make sure that we have um, school leaders in every building in every elementary school that are really knowledgeable about K-2 learning, about that early childhood segment. Our principals have to understand what good 
um, instructional practices look like for teaching those foundational skills. It, it, my, my analogy in my head is like building a house. If I built a new house, I'm not going to put the two-by-fours in sand. I've got to put those two-by-fours on a really solid foundation. And those K-2 years, even pre-K, those years are critical to building that solid foundation because think about it. You leave third grade and you can't read proficiently. You're going to get frustrated. You get frustrated. You're going to be you're going to have behavior issues because you're going to act out Absolutely. because of that frustration. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, unfortunately, we have children that get um, get left behind, fall through the cracks, and that's how they get to ninth grade, only reading on a third grade level. And uh, that's the, that's that contributes to all of the adult Absolutely. problems that that child is going to be facing Absolutely. at that point. Donna, you mentioned the fact that uh, they're your kids, and I appreciate that because I, I get that. Uh, Tell me this from a standpoint. We want to introduce this young lady in a second, but when we when we move into that, they're our kids. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to get volunteers today to participate? It actually isn't, and we are growing by leaps and bounds every year. And our struggle is to just keep that infrastructure in place that can handle the growth. When people in the city of Memphis realize they only have to donate of their own time, one hour a week, to change the educational trajectory of two children's lives, they are more than willing to jump on board. Part of what we need to do is what we thank you for doing, Jim, is get the word out. Because Memphians understand we have a problem. We just don't know how to solve that problem. problem. So we target second grade students to try to get them on grade level by third grade. And it only takes one hour a week for that volunteer. And we train them in a very simple sight word method, utilizing comprehension as well. And we are having astounding results. In fact, the children are making um, two and a half grade jumps in a year. That's phenomenal. Well, let's introduce one of these children. (laughs) She is a beautiful young lady with a, uh, if it was television, you could see a perfect pink ribbon in her hair, beautiful (laughs) smile. Kiana, tell us, uh, welcome to the program, by the way. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Uh, I'm glad to have you. You just dress us up and make us look so good this morning. Uh, do this for me. Why do children need to learn to read? Well, children need to learn to read because when they get older, they need to, they're going to have to know how to read to get that job that they might want. And also, um, by the time you get into the fifth grade, you're going to be not learning how to read, but learning, learning, like... Different subjects, right? Yeah, and you're going to have to know how to read to mm-hmm. be able to read the test or read the question. So that's... You've got to have to put it all together. Mm-hmm. I can already tell Kiana will one day be sitting in my chair doing radio. <laughs> you're right. No question about it. I think she it. might be helping astronauts go into space. <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> Whatever she wants to do. You know, Kiana, what I appreciate from you is you say that you have siblings and you're encouraging them to learn to read. And you're a fifth grader, right? So it, is it is it difficult for you to read? I mean, well, I know you're, you've done a great job. You have a pretty good teacher there, you know, Miss Karen. And, but what is it? that what is it that prompted you to want to learn to read um well i see like books that look very interesting so if i it prompts me to want to learn how to read because i want to know what that book's going to be about wow 
Uh, y'all couldn't ask for anybody to answer a better That's question. Right. Thank you. <laughs> that is right on, lady. That's exactly what prompted me to learn to read, is I wanted to know what that book was going to tell me when I read. And I think most of us do that. That's a well-answered question, lady. Great job. Karen, did you find that this is, I know you worked with her and some other students. Do you find that that's the norm when a child says, I want to learn to no, read? No, Okay, why is that? Well, I think Donna already touched on that point. We have so many children that are coming into the classroom in, in kindergarten that are already so far behind. And so it's our job as early childhood educators to make sure that we're identifying their strengths, the areas of need, and then really focusing in on those specific areas of need. So whether that's phonics-based, sight word, comprehension, whatever it is, really helping to shore that up. The other part is, I think as educators, we have to show our excitement as adults in the home. We have to show our excitement about reading. We have to model that. And I think when, um, I know when I was in the classroom, I was Kiana's third grade teacher, uh, first semester, fourth grade teacher. I read to them all the time, and I read with excitement. I wanted them to see me as a reader so that they could see themselves as that same kind of reader. And and for them to read for pleasure, to be able to pick out books, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, whatever whatever it is, so that they can read for pleasure. When they when kids do that, just like you shared your story about dinosaurs, all of a sudden your reading took off. And yeah. that's what all of our children, and you, you touched on that with the number of books in the home as well. You know, when you think about that, I mean, you know, you're, you're the teacher that the students will remember when they're adults, when they're, I mean, I can remember, it's amazing. I remember Miss Godball. <laughs> that was it. Wow. And that's that now that's a fifth grade, fourth grade, third grade teacher right. that did the reading. I remember her reading Squanto. Do y'all don't remember that? Oh, that's yeah. way long yeah. time ago. <laughs> but that was a great I mean and it it, it got that interesting part there. Now let me right. ask you this, and, and Donna, this is a big issue for so many people and I read a little bit about it, the summer slump. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it. Well, our superintendent in Shelby County Schools has created the summer learning academies. And so it is a very real um you know, difficulty for students to regress during the summer. Part of what we do with the Rise to Read, though, is we have a big celebration at the end of the year, our end of the year party. We call it Camp Read Some More. And every child not only gets the Berenstain Bears Go to Camp book and has this party, but they also leave with a backpack with six books because research has proven if children will just read six books over the summer, they maintain their reading they gains. They maintain that reading that level. Not that is critical. Yes, it is. That is so critical. For those of you that are listening, my guest today, Donna Gaines, Karen Vogelsing, and they're the founder and executive director of Rise to Read. Now, Karen, uh, you're a, involved in a big way, but talk about the person who just says, as Donna said, I want to give that one hour a week. Tell me how to do that. Uh, well, you can start by going to arisetoread.org, and that's A-R-I-S-E, the number two, read.org, and you can register for our awesome fall kickoff next Tuesday. It's going to be held at Bellevue Baptist Church starting at 8.30. We're going to serve a light breakfast from 8.30 to 9.30. Then we're going to have Donna and Dr. Alpha Stewart as our keynote speaker, and then we're going to train our returning coaches and our new coaches. And this year, our goal is to uh, coach students in both semesters in 35 schools, which means we need roughly 1,400 volunteers. Last year, we had just under 1,000 volunteers. Our retention rate, like Donna talked about, is 86%. Because a lot of people think that they're going to go into a school and they're going to save a child. But really what happens is that child saves them. That child 
teaches that adult that there's so much good in the city of Memphis and that these are children that are just just so hungry for positive relationships and not only do the reading skills of the children that we serve improve, but if it's a child that's been frustrated or has had a behavior problem, that relationship between the coach and the student just motivates that student to be a better student. And we have second graders that are like, Mom, don't buy me those single book stories anymore. Right. I want a chapter book. Buy me uh-huh. a chapter book. I want to read that. So they're, they're exciting and they're becoming intrinsically motivated to be great readers. And that's how we want our second graders to leave at the end of the school year. Donna, when she talks about that, of course, I can see the, you know, <laughs> she's a little passionate about it. <laughs> we Just are. Just a little passionate. <laughs> Both of you are. The, the power, though, that I'm hearing, and, and I see the evidence with Karen and with the, from her standpoint and Kiana and the success there, but this one-on-one tutoring, this one-on-one uh, individual person spending right. time giving what you said, Karen, receiving too. Right. Talk about that power. It is fabulous, and we have so many testimonies of people who have gone in to tutor, or we call it coach, and they have been the ones who have been changed. And not only that, they then become responsible for those children, and there's tremendous buy-in to the schools, and they want to do more. That one hour a week is no longer enough. Mm-hmm. And what is so beautiful about this, gym and why we're targeting second graders is if they are reading proficiently when they go into third grade and leave third grade reading proficiently, they have an 89% graduation rate. 89%. Kiana, I got a question for you. Why is it important? I'm going to do this for children to learn to read. Why is it important? It's important for children to learn to read because um, when they get when they get an older grade, it will be important for them to learn to read because they'll have to know how to read because they'll have to know how to read the question to get the answer they'll know how they'll have to know how to read tests and they also have to read and every job that they want to have whether it's trying to be um, a basketball player an athlete uh, a maid or even someone who picks up the garbage, they'll have to know how to read. It doesn't make any difference. I, I, I love right. what you said. And you know what What you just said was it's about that getting to the point where if I know how to read, I know how to take a test, and I'm going to graduate. Mm-hmm. And that's what you just said, Nana, right. is that graduation rate just goes. And then go to college. That's and go right. to college. There you go. And uh, let me ask this, Kiana, this, just as a thought. Now, I'm a, you're a fifth grader. This is a tough question, by the way. So get prepared. <laughs> She's all right? got it. Now, you know. Uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to help astronauts. Oh, by the get way, you ought to see space. the smile. <laughs> <laughs> it's just if we had this was if TV, you could see it. Tell us again. I want to help astronauts get into space. <laughs> I love it. That's I absolutely awesome. love it. That's Beautiful awesome. pink ribbon. Uh, I get the pleasure of seeing her. Maybe if you're watching us on Facebook, you can see her. She's doing a great job. Remember this. We're talking about reading. Adults need literacy skills to raise children to be good employees to keep them themselves and their families healthy to achieve what you know they they be active with their communities to be advocates for themselves and to avoid crime all of those are important and it just doesn't happen because you think it does it just it's going to happen because people are volunteers so Donna, help me one more time. If I want to volunteer, if I want to get onto the 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 website and find out more, 
Tell us how to do that. Just go to arise2read.org, and you can register to attend our training next Tuesday, August the 7th. And we'd love to have you then. But if you're unable to make it next Tuesday morning, there will be other trainings that will be posted on our website following that time. They'll be in various places across the city. We try to make it as easy as possible for volunteers to get trained and to get plugged into a school. Karen, you said last year we had approximately just a little less than 1,000. Yeah. This year we need 1,400. We need at least 1,400. Yep. We want to put those 1,400 volunteers in front of our kiddos, build those relationships, and most importantly, we want them to be able to leave second grade as a proficient reader. All right. I asked Kiana a tough question. I'm going to ask you a tough question. <laughs> if you had in a, in a short sentence or more, a little bit longer than that, but just enough time here, if you could tell somebody, look them straight in the face and say, this is why you need to do it, what's that question? What's that answer? So that a child can read God's love letter to them. Donna? I love that answer, and I would agree. (laughs) I would would say that's a pretty good answer. Yeah, and that's uh, just to learn to read the Bible, just to learn to read those important documents that they need to, just to take them out of a darkness that is so critical to us in this society that we live. And when you think about it, when I said earlier that 21% of the adult population in Tennessee are at level one, the only impact we can have with that and change our society is to start, and ladies like you, That's men right. like you, and all of us that are taking the time to have an impact with that. Very quickly, the superintendent has got a plan for 2025. Absolutely. What's going on there? Well, and he, his goal is a 90% graduation rate, which obviously what we're doing, trying to get these children on grade level by third grade, is going to help him meet that graduation rate. So we are partnering with Shelby County Schools, with the ASD, and all charter schools as well. When schools approach us, we do our very best to get an adopter and get volunteers to come help. And volunteers can go online to right. ArisetoRead.org Arise to and, and register uh, for training. Just register that. It's Bellevue next Tuesday night. That's right. But next Tuesday during the day. That's not, or excuse me, Tuesday during Morning, the day. Morning, yeah. But that's not the only place no, you can find out No, there will be several more places. we will post after that training. Well, you know, you guys are always good to have on the program because of your passion. It's easy to see. Kiana, you were absolutely a blessing today, lady. Thank you. You did great. And uh, you know what? I have to tell you guys, she was a little nervous, but her smile overcomes the nervousness in a heartbeat. She is a beautiful young lady, and uh, thank you so much for joining us today. And you're welcome back anytime, and you can come by yourself next time. (laughs) She won't need us. That's right. All right. I'm Jim Shoemaker. Of course, you're listening to KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. My guests have been, is, of course, you've heard them and you listen to them, Donna Gaines and Karen Vogel saying, and you've known understand, this is about Rise to Read. This is about our city. That's right. This is about being involved with our city, not just standing back and pointing your finger or saying something. It's stepping out and doing something about it. Thanks, ladies, for being with us today. Thank you. Having so us much. on. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Michael Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. 
And welcome back. Uh, the first half was gone and done and in the can, but we're now into the second half of the program with a lot of energy and a lot of things that we're going to be answering, questions that you've asked us for today's program, and we're going to try to give you some insight into why planning is important. Why you need a strategy. And the whole idea, when I talk about planning, I'm talking about financial planning, but a plan in life. I mean, there's so many things going on that we just rush through. And, you know, when you're going to take a vacation, you plan that vacation. You say we're going to take the car, the van, or maybe you're going to fly, but you got to put all that together. It doesn't just happen. You, you plan that you're going to be there on a certain day. You plan that you're going to go into this particular site that you're going to go see. This this Maybe it's different. Disney World, you're going all the things you're going to do at Disney World. If you're going to Yosemite National Park, you you know, well, it's burning right now. That might probably mm-hmm. not be a place to go. But you don't just let it happen. You wouldn't dare do that. But yet at the same time, when we think about planning from financial, the whole idea of trying to get our side, you know, to get our way into a, finding out what our dreams and goals are, we have a tendency to say, I'll do that tomorrow. I'll put that off because you don't feel that intentionality or that urgency to do it today. Well, my special guest today, Michael Powell with Shoemaker Financial, he's going to give us some reasons why you need to do a plan, a strategy. And we're talking about a fee-based plan, or if you're just doing a strategy, just putting something together. But we're talking about putting it in writing, setting down and making sure that you've said, okay, we're going to do this and this. And remember this, it's not always about the plan. It's about the results. And so if you say, oh, I'm going to plan to make a trip to Yosemite National Park or, or Disney World or whatever, the reality is it's about getting there and enjoying it and getting home. The plan is just the process. But Michael is going to help us understand some reasons why you need a strategy. So welcome to the program, Michael. Thanks, Jim. It's always good to be here. Well, let's start off with a couple of these that I find to be Pretty interesting when you when you kind of laid them out for me and helped me start with this first one. The whole idea behind the 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 need to protect yourself and your family against what we call financial risk. It's like building a foundation, just like if you build a house, you got to have a foundation, a good support system there. And we deal with a lot of risk every day. Can't protect you from everything in life, but we can provide products and services to help protect you from suffering some sort of potential financial loss. We talk about risk with financials, losing something, and really those things could become a reality. So we got to be aware of that. You know, I was talking to someone just recently, and it's amazing that you bring that up because the idea was they had this very, very well done plan. I mean, it was extremely solid. And yet they were trying to jump up the pyramid. Mm-hmm. You know, they were, we talk about the financial pyramid, right. but you just said the base, the foundation. And whether it, and it's the insurance risk, it's all those things that go on that you have to look at and measure. And they were already into exotic tax planning and, and goal or whatever. I mean, it was a bunch of stuff. Not, not the top of the pyramid. It was a, they jumped from no base to the top. Now, I understood that. I mean, I do understand that because the reality is people don't think about that foundation as being critical. 
they are looking at the 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 idea of well, let's get into the sexy stuff, the really fun stuff. Right. But but you say that there is this need to help a person understand that there is financial risk. So what exactly when you say those? What are the exactly we're talking about when we say financial risk? Well, one thing is for sure with the economy, you could lose your job, oh, or that's true. you could become sick. We could become injured. We could die. I mean, lawsuits could get sued. There's a lot of different things out there that could financially impact us in a very negative way if we're not too careful. So you need to hedge against those risks and yes. make sure that you've got some strategy that says, if that risk occurs, here's how I will handle it. You don't know what's going to happen. And you know what we have a tendency to do is always say it's going to happen to the guy across the street. Mm-hmm. It's never going to happen to me. And never going to happen to me. That's the famous phrase. Yeah, and, and that can get us in trouble. So in this particular case, what, what we tried to do with these people was sit down and back them into this mindset of taking care of the foundation and move forward because you're talking about job loss, illness, injury, death, mm-hmm. you know, a lawsuit, just a litany of things that could occur, and you need to know what they are, and you need to measure them. Right, because if you don't have that solid foundation of something, one of those risks happen, then really we can't do anything else on the pyramid. Well, I think that's important for people to understand, that you need to start knowing your foundation, knowing your financial risk, and, and managing that. But the second thing for a lot of people, I know that uh, Dave Ramsey, coming on and, and as soon as this program's over, talks and is focused for the year that I've known him, one one thing, and that is get out of debt. How important is that to your chair as a financial advisor working with a client? In your opinion, when I, you talk about, you know, you need to get out of debt, is that critical in the first phases of any plan? Or, or tell me what you think. It can be. It depends on what type of debt we're talking about, whether it's good debt or bad debt. But really, a lot of people, and I think that's their biggest goal besides actually retiring and not working, is getting rid of debt. No one likes to be in debt. I don't like to owe anybody anything. But we're trying to get in the mindset from owing money to owning money. And I think that's... Say that again. I think that's... Owing money. I mean, I owe it to someone or... And I'm going to owning it. Okay. So I'm going from the red to the black if we're talking about... Accounting, you know, I understand that. Yep. So really, it's working in the progress of eliminating debt, but also trying to save for the future as well. And there's a happy medium between. I like those the two. way you say that, though. So what you're saying is, the faster that you can eliminate personal debt, that's and again, I want to talk a little bit about this good debt, bad debt. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that. But the faster that you can eliminate personal debt, the faster you can accumulate assets. For retirement, education, college education, buying a home, buying a new car. Right. So getting out of debt is critical. But but when we come back, we're going to take a short break. Uh, we're going to go to Mid-South History Moment. But I want to know what you mean by good debt and bad debt. Okay. I, I'm afraid that I might say that everything's bad debt. But for some people, mm-hmm. you need to understand the difference. So when we come back, uh, Michael Powell is going to help us understand the difference between good debt and bad debt. I think that's important. If you probably listen to Dave Ramsey, I don't know if he has that ability to tell us what's good debt or bad debt. It's all bad debt. But I think I know where Michael's headed with this, and we'll uh, let him give us a good explanation of that. You're listening, of course, to KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. And I'm Jim Shoemaker, and my guest, Michael Powell, this is Talk Money. If you have questions you'd like to have answered on the program, email them to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. After Britain's defeat in the Revolutionary War, 
Both Spain and the U.S. claimed much of the land east of the Mississippi River and maintained a network of frontier military bases along the Mississippi Bluff. Among the commanders of these bases were such figures as the famed explorers Meriwether Lewis and Zebulon Pike, and the 12th President of the United States, Zachary Taylor. What is now downtown Memphis was a Spanish military outpost under the command of Manuel Gayoso. Until the American army took over the site two years later, Gayoso's soldiers manned a fort and surrounding buildings where the pyramid stands today. Although the forts were later abandoned as the frontier moved further to the west, the legacies of the men who commanded them made a lasting imprint on our cultural heritage, including the names of our streets and landmarks. Those who walk Gayoso Avenue today trace the footsteps of some of our nation's most revered icons. This has been another Mid-South History Moment, brought to you by Shoemaker Financial. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon as research or investment advice regarding any funds or stocks in particular, nor should it be construed as a recommendation to purchase or sell a security. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, welcome back. Uh, you know, we're talking with Rick, with, you know, Michael Powell. We're talking about reasons or thoughts or ideas behind why you need a plan, a strategy. And the reality is a financial plan. We always say this, that the bottom line is you've got a dream and a goal financially. You've got a, you need a plan and you've got to move in a direction of achieving that. And there's always things that get in your way. And so how do you handle that when something creates a roadblock or creates some type of a, you know, you just can't get around it. It's just you stopped and dead in your track. Well, we talked about some of those risks that you need to be careful about. Job loss being one. I mean, we don't we don't see that as much today, but you go back 10 years ago, a lot of people, there was a big problem. Illness, injury, you have a car accident, that can create all kinds of problems. Death or lawsuits, and you can't imagine that that's um, what something would happen to you. It's always going to happen to the guy across the street. But that's financial risk that you need to know and understand. And then eliminating personal debt. And I appreciate what Michael said, the idea behind the faster you eliminate personal debt, the faster you can accumulate assets for the house that you the second house, the first house, the car you want to buy, the, the trip you want to take. It just gives you a chance not to put that on a credit card or debt. But you mentioned, Michael, that there was a thing called good debt and bad debt. Explain that to us. So good debt is things that are going to personally make you better from a long-term standpoint. If you think of borrowing a house, you know the house is going to probably appreciate over time if you take care of it. So you're probably going to get well and above what you made out of it, depending on you know where you live and whatnot. But if I think of bad debt, I think we both can agree that one off the gate is credit cards. Mm. I'm not saying that things you put on your credit card is bad. But I'm saying the credit card debt can be bad because of the interest you may be paying over time. All right. So if I use a credit card, but I pay it off every month, that's not a bad debt. No, not at all. Because, because they're not they're not going to charge you any interest. That's right. It's when you put heavy purchases on there and you just let them, you pay the minimums and you see that interest slowly accumulate up and up and up in the negative direction. That is that uh, you know we're we're good at that because we are we want that instant gratification. We don't save money to buy something. Um, we're going to go 
you know, pay for it with a credit card, and then we don't have the capacity to pay for it consistently. What about saving money for that, the, the strategy of saving money for that proverbial, I need four new tires on my car, or my air conditioner went out, that emergency. Mm-hmm. Does that avoid the use of bad debt? Is that a bad debt problem? Absolutely. I think that's why most people go into bad debt like credit cards, because they don't have a good, solid emergency fund set aside. It's, you know, you forget that you got to pay your tags every year. That's a hundred something dollars. Then you have to go pay for a new alternator. It sounds like me right now because <laughs> I'm spending all this money that I don't even realize I have to spend yeah, until yeah. it happens. And I got a good emergency fund set aside, but not everybody has that. And so it's just like, oh, I'm going to put on the card. Yeah. And it just keeps going on and on and it's on. It's so easy to mm-hmm. get in that trap. Now, that's bad debt. Good debt. You said? I would say, you know, borrowing money to buy a home, some real estate property that would appreciate over time. And another one, I think some people could argue about this either way, but I think another good debt is student loans. I mean, just because of the fact that I am borrowing money to better educate myself and further my career professionally, if I'm borrowing money to do that, you know, that's fine. But I know that gets a lot of critique. Well, critics no, I, I sometimes like what you're saying because loans. I do think sometimes, especially if that's the only way you can get that education, right? Then you've got to sit down and make a plan, a strategy to figure out a way to pay for that, mm-hmm. and that doesn't happen just unless you think it. You know, again, goes back to my analogy: if you're going to take a trip, plan for it, then execute what you're saying you're going to do. Right. Exactly. We're talking with Michael Powell. We're talking about strategy of achieving a financial dream or goal or a plan that you're trying to do and reasons of why you need a strategy, why you need a plan. He've talked about, you know, risk, managing financial risk, eliminating personal debt. But what about this idea behind even the millennial of living a long time and the whole idea behind I've got to start a part of my life has got to start saving money. Mm -hmm. Help me with that. Well, you can see a trend in this, and you've probably seen this throughout your career, is that people are living longer and longer, like you just said, just because we've got better health care now, technology's a lot better, we've got, I mean, better resources for us to take care of our bodies better, and that's resulting in us living longer, and that's making us anticipate, you know, outliving our money in some cases, but we got to prepare for that. So as a millennial, I think that you know, people are living in their 90s. My grandfather, he's 97. And we think he's going to live to 107. I don't know. That's but, right. I mean, if he's living to 97 and, you know, if I'm taking care of myself now and I'm not eating Taco Bell every day, then I think I could live to 102. But I got to save for it. Well, you know, and that's so critical. You're right. Because when I started in a career, career years ago, people... We literally would plan for someone retiring at 65 and would basically we only needed to go maybe 10 years. And today people are needing to we actually work out a plan that goes 30, 35, even 40 years Mm -hmm. as far as retirement, a retirement where they're not accumulating additional money. Now, some people are working a little longer, but most people still hit that retirement age. I, do you think, and I guess this is a question that we won't be able to answer, but we can sure pontificate on it. Right. Will the millennials work longer, do you think, or will they look at that 65, 66, 70-year-old and say, that's it? What are your thoughts? I think it's going to be dependent on who you are, a person-by-person thing. But I think people will start working longer just because I think— 
flexibility is a lot better now for people, especially in some careers. So if you have a more flexible career, I think you'd be able to work longer. But if it's one of those where you're there every day, nine to five or eight to five, and it's you're there the whole time, I, I may see that being a 65, 65, 70 type thing. But a lot of that plays into, you know, other different factors and health and, uh, you know, your family and all those different things too. But, you know, another thing with living a long time, you got to, you usually have another partner right. that you're living with right. being married and you got to outlive them two lives or you got to make sure that you're planning for, plan for two lives. A lot of people build a pile and say, this is the pile and forget, oh, it's a pile for two, not just one. Right. So you're doubling up on yeah, everything. That's a good so point. That's a, all right. Now, thing. let me ask you this. So many people buy a car and buy a home. Two big items. In fact, let's start with the car. I mean, I've counseled people that have come in that can barely make their house payment, and they have bought this enormous car. I mean, the reality, I mean, or truck. It's usually a truck. Big truck. Uh, So you're going to purchase a vehicle. It's a big confusing, tough decision to make. I hate buying cars. Uh, It's not fun. What would you tell people? What's the strategy for that? Well, you need to want you need to ask yourself, you know, what type of financing you want to do, because that could turn into bad debt too, kind of like going back earlier. That's true. Um, but a lot of places do offer pretty good finances. So you just got to think about, you know, what you're willing to spend, whether it's a down payment or an actual, you know, upfront lump sum of what the car is worth. Um, how long do you feel like you're going to have that car? You know, what's the purpose for that car besides just going to work to and to and from? Uh, but I think it's just like anything else that we're planning for. We just have to sit down and say, what are my resources available? Do I have anything coming up I could use? Or can I trade in my car that could Michael, I, I think what you're saying, we're going to take a break, but I think what you're saying, and I appreciate the way you said it, is that the person prior to buying a car, you do some research, you do some thinking, why am I buying this? What type of money? So that you're not an emotional buyer, you've become a strategic buyer. A logical, strategic, mm-hmm. you set a price, I'm not going to go over this price, I'm going to do that. Because if you're not careful, when that emotion kicks in, mm-hmm. you can end up buying a lot more car or truck than you meant to. You see and- that pretty shiny red car driving down, you, you may pull into the lot. <laughs> exactly. My guest, Michael Powell, we're talking about strategy, reasons for a strategy when it comes to financially putting a plan together for your financial dreams and goals. And we'll come back in a few minutes. We're going to talk about having the ability to retire in style and starting early. Stay with us. You're listening to KWAM 990 and FM 107.9. I'm Jim Shoemaker. My guest, Michael Powell. This is Talk Money. Podcasts for Talk Money are available for iOS mobile devices in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with Talk Money after this. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. Financial advisors do not provide specific mortgage or tax legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax legal advisor regarding your own specific tax legal situation. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. While we're talking about developing a strategy for your financial plan, what I need to say to everybody as you're listening, Michael Powell is my guest, and Michael and I both agreed that 
even though a strategy, a plan, you know, when you do this, whether it's fee-based or somebody's helping you write it down, you do want to write it down. You do want to have something that you put on paper because statistics just tell us that, the, that when you write it down, you're more prone to actually implement what you've written down instead of it being just something in your head. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. It's it's easy to procrastinate. It's easy to put that off. But if you've taken the time to either hire a professional like Michael and write it down, or you do it on your own, you take the time to say, okay, I'm going to do this and this and this. That's what we want you to understand. That's the critical part of this strategically thinking, the strategic thinking for to, to accomplish a plan. But again, I want to make sure that you understand this. It's not about the plan or not just about the plan. It is about the results. What are you trying to accomplish and are you accomplishing that? That's the measuring rod for any good plan or any good planner. So, Michael, you you talked about knowing financial risk. You talked about eliminating the personal debt, living too long and having to start thinking through that process and making sure that you're aware of that. Buying a car, uh, kind of keeping the emotions out of that. What about buying the house? That. To me, for a lot of people, that especially in our listening audience, a lot of people, this is the largest investment they'll make. It's a big, Absolutely. big deal. So give us some instructions on going through the process. What kind of strategy do you need when you're buying a house? No, you're right. It is one of the biggest financial decisions you'll ever make. And it may be multiple ones that you do make because most people buy more than one house, or two. Yeah. You may move or something like that. But it's it's going back to buying a car. You got to sit down and realize, you know, what are you looking for? What type of house do you want? What area do you want to be in? How much can you afford? And not just from a principal and interest borrowing money from the uh, bank or mortgage company. It's can I pay the taxes? Can I pay the property insurance? Can I, do I have enough for a down payment? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many things that add up. And you think about, oh, I got to buy new furniture. I got to do some home improvement. I got to buy a lawnmower. Uh, you yeah, know, and a weed eater. Lawnmower, and, eat, weed eater. <laughs> I mean, those were, that shocked me when I bought my first house. Greg smiling. He did, he did the same thing. But the reality is, all of a sudden, all the paraphernalia that comes with the house costs money. It does, and, and you got to think about that. you do, and it's it's lining it out. You got to write down, hey, what. What is, what is my income and how much percentage of my income am I willing to spend on my living? And most people spend about 20 to 25%. or That's what you want to be at. But um, it's it's just sitting down and writing it out, figuring it out from there. All right. So I think what you're saying is it's a thought-out process. Yes. It is not something – again, keep the emotions out. Um, you know, in most cases, especially when you're talking to someone who is a couple, a married couple, they're about to buy a house. Usually one of those two people are very logical and there are the numbers and they go through it. Could be the female, could be the male. doesn't matter. But the other one is this, Ooh, I like the tree here. And I like the color here. Mm-hmm. I like this room. And that's what the key is. Usually that helps them make a decision because they're pushing and pulling with each other. Mm-hmm. But you get someone that's buying a house by themselves, they need, as you've done, you definitely need to make sure that you've got a process, that you're going through that process, a strategy to buy a house. And just, just a third it, party, just right. to give you a little opinions on you know what exactly you're doing. Whether well, it you is. talked about the next thing. You talked about your grandfather being 97 years old. Uh, good for him. Way to go. Oh, I think yeah. it's great. But to be able to retire... 
for somebody. I mean, and I know when I talk to someone today, if I'm talking to a 30-year-old, I'm not going to get much of a conversation about retirement. If I'm talking to a 50-year-old, I at least got a paragraph. They're thinking. If I get to a 60-year-old, we're there. We're into a chapter or so. By the time I get to a 65, 66, 67, we got a book. I mean, it's yeah. really serious planning. And that's usually way too late. A 50-year-old, that's usually way too late. They need to be doing some planning. So whether it's your 401k plan or you're setting money aside outside of that, help us understand this whole idea of retiring when you're in style, okay, and in the style that you want. That is so, so critical for people to understand when they're thinking about their retirement. Well, that's a good good point there. Uh, think about food for a sec. So when you think about food, you and your spouse or you and yourself, you retire at 65, you, you know, live out to 90 or whatever that age is, you know, since we're living longer now, but you think about it over that time, if I live from 65 to 90, I'm eating 54,750 meals. That's three meals a day. 54,000. If you just count it all up and that's for two people, by the way, I'm right. thinking of you and a spouse, just an average $5 a meal. That's two hundred and seventy three thousand dollars. Two hundred and seventy three just on food. So when you think about that, you realize that oh wow, I do have to spend quite a bit of money to live off just myself and not an income anymore. You know, it's amazing that when you put it that way, just the simple thought and cost of being in retirement and two hundred and seventy three thousand seven hundred and fifty dollars of food. It just if you live for 25 years for two people. So we have to plan. You have to have a strategy. But remember this. It's not just about the plan. It's about the execution. My suggestion, call Michael Powell. Get him to help you put the plan together and to help you execute it. Thanks for listening today. I appreciate it. You're there all the time. If you've got questions for us, don't hesitate. Just go to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. Ask the question, and we'll be glad to do our best to get your question on the air. I'm Jim Shoemaker. You've been listening to Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. Jim Shoemaker and Michael Powell are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer, member FNIRA, SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.